You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I love you guys. It is so good to be with you. We, we've had such a strange year, but I have to tell you, every Sunday, even though we haven't had our full crowds back, just getting to see you here today, it encourages me. And we are going to see God move in mighty ways in the days to come. And I think about, you know, the, the, this series we're in on the heart of David and the, the heart of the king. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to discover as a church what it means to have a heart for God. Um, you know, the heart of the king, what we're really talking about there is, is the heart of God. What is the heart of God for us? And so during this season of downtime, of, of being able to do a little less than what we can normally do. My hope and prayer is that we will discover personally, but also corporately, more of what it means to be in love with God and to experience that love. We can say, uh, I love you uh, a thousand times a day and it's never enough. And uh, we, we say that to one another. We need to say that to God and we need to grow in our love. But as we've been here in this passage of scripture in 1 Samuel, last week we talked about Goliath, David and Goliath. And this week we, we get beyond Goliath because Goliath went down last week. Uh, so now we need to talk about some other challenges that we face. And that's really where we are in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So if you have your copy of scripture, will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. Now what we're going to do is we're going to pick up there in verse 6, verse 6, and we're going to see again kind of the rest of the story after the aftermath of the great victory that David had over Goliath. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Now notice verse 9. It's a key, key verse for us today. And Saul eyed David. Eyed David from that day on. The very next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved with, within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of, thou, of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people and David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had a great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Now, I'm going to skip part of the story for time's sake. And I want you to hear the last few verses of this chapter. Skip down to verse 28 with me. It says, and when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Let's pray. God, we, we know that this passage reminds us that our hearts can be very wicked, wicked places. And even, Lord, when, when good things are happening, if we're not careful, our, our hearts and souls can grow bitter as Saul's grew bitter. 
Keep us, Lord, from that. Keep us, Lord, healthy and strong in your name and help us to know your peace and your power and your victory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Oh, you know, we all want to be like David, but the truth is many times our actions are more like Saul. David was a man of of deep spirituality and strength. And we see in these early chapters of his life, it just seems like he can do no wrong. Now we know that, that David didn't stay on that trajectory. Over time, he lost his way. But at these early stages of his life, it's so easy to look at David and see kind of the model of what we want to be. Sadly, when we look at Saul's behavior here in a passage like we have here today, we see a man who is egregious and petty. Uh, But the envy and the pride that pour forth from Saul's heart is an all too familiar vintage. Pride and envy are not things I need to describe to you in great detail because I think that all of us, those are our elements of our heart that we're having to wrestle with from time to time. And I want to highlight that today, not to make you feel bad, but to make you get better, to help you see these weaknesses so that those weaknesses can be defeated. These elements of our flesh have to be defeated if we want to know more of God. And here's the thing. Let me encourage you in this way. You can be a great, powerful uh, tool in the hand of God. The, the hand of providence wants to be on your life and you have this ability to truly make a difference. But to be victorious in Christ, we have to kill the sin that is killing us. And today, the sin we're talking about is subtle. It's something inward. It's something deep inside of us. Now, let's think back to Goliath in the 17th chapter. When we are facing a Goliath, it's very, very clear what we have to accomplish, what we have to get past, what we have to overcome. Goliath is easy because he's visible, he's out there. But notice in chapter 18, what Saul is dealing with here is something that is inside his heart. Pride and envy are more deadly than any Philistine giant. The things that are most dangerous for you, the biggest enemies are inside, not outside of us. And we need to get that in our hearts, in our minds. We need to get that straight today because what God is wanting to do is help us to become believers and a congregation that is successful and used of God in a mighty way. But we're not going to be used of God in a mighty way if sin is having a mighty influence on our hearts. So all the things that I'm saying to you today are in the hope that you can have victory over these giants inside, these these challenges within. The the Philistines of the world, they they breathe their threats and they, they say ugly things, but the ugly bits in your heart, those sins in your heart, that's what will condemn you. That's what we need to work together to overcome. We do that by being together in worship, together in the word, together in prayer. We can overcome these enemies. These are great enemies. Pride and envy, as we're going to see, they're subtle, but they're they're so powerful. We can overcome them together, but we have to be ready and willing to hear this word from the Lord. So let's begin with an examination of pride. Peace-killing pride. And the question that we're asking here is, do we worship the Savior or do we worship ourselves? Let's take a, a close look at this chapter. And again, I want you to get a feel for what's happening in the text. Now, I want you just to realize that when you've been beat down again and again by an enemy, 
um, you just start to feel like you can never win. And that's kind of how Israel had felt. Until David slew Goliath, all it had been was a losing season. All it had been is one defeat after the next. But David slays Goliath and everybody is fired up. We can actually win this thing. We can actually do a good job. I was sharing with the early service, uh, the first service, I said, you know, I can remember playing on a lot of losing teams when I played sports as a kid. And I can remember a couple times playing on those losing teams and we would play a team even worse than us and we would win and you would have thought it was the World Series. Everybody in the dugout was going crazy. Everybody on the bench was going nuts. We won, we won. And the other team's over there going, this game means nothing. But it meant everything to us because we'd finally won something. So I kind of get the feeling that, that, that Israel's kind of like that. They're, they're just so happy because they're so used to defeat and they finally won a victory. But what we need to realize here is that I don't know if they understood completely why they won. The reason they'd been losing is because they kept looking at the situation in a very physical way. But one guy shows up, his name is David, and he looks at the problem as a spiritual problem. And because of that, they win. You see, life is spiritual. There is a spiritual component to life. And the majority of people in the world just don't see it. They don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. But you who have been, been raised in the church, those of you who know the word of God, you know that there is a God in heaven and that there is a spiritual component to our existence. David understood that. Saul did not. Everyone is rejoicing in the miracle. Even Jonathan, if you look at chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, you see that Saul's son, Jonathan, just, he gets it. He realizes that David is a, not just a good friend, but he's a great man of God. And Jonathan wants to be a part of that. He wants to be friends with a godly man. And so we see that in the early verses of the chapter. But Saul's jealousy blinds him to the blessings that David brings the kingdom and blinds him and robs him of the riches of grace. And I'm here to tell you these sins that we're going to talk about here today, they do um, pride and envy both. They rob us of God's richest blessings. So God has been working through David to bring peace, to bring victory to a war-torn land. The dreaded Philistines were on their heels. But in this moment when Saul should have been celebrating, he seems to be more sullen than satisfied. He's more jealous of David than zealous for the Lord. You see... Sin doesn't bring good times. It causes us to miss the good times, the blessings of God. Now, I want to pause just for a moment. And I want to say this to you. Um, when we look at this, this picture of a king who looks and sees David, you know, this boy comes in and, and beats the giant, uh, kills the giant. And you have this, this king who's, who's not done his job. And so he's obviously going, going to be jealous but, but here God is working and Saul, he's thinking in terms of my kingdom. He's thinking in terms of, uh, you know, my people and my army. But what he's forgotten is it's all the Lord's. And the victory was never supposed to be Saul's victory. It was supposed to be God's victory. And the reason why he is, is, is filled with pride here and envy is because he wants it to be about him. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I want you to hear me. When we see churches in our community successfully reaching people for Jesus, nobody ought to be a bigger cheerleader for those churches than Ridgecrest Baptist Church. 
And if we don't do that, then we are falling prey to the same exact sin of Saul. When we say, well, we want to be blessed. We want to be, you know, it's like me, my, mine. That's, that's what we do. When we do that, we've allowed pride and, and the sense that we want to be viewed as successful as more important than God's kingdom going forward. So I want you to think of this. If, if you see, if you know a friend that's in a church and they're reaching people for Jesus and they're discipling people in the name of Jesus, don't, don't feel any kind of envy or anything else. Celebrate that. Because let me tell you what happens when you don't. You, you allow your pride to kill the joy of what God's doing in the community. We do not want to be guilty of that. We do not want to miss the joy of God. Now, not only did Jonathan love David, but all the people also do. And the women are singing here. Um, they're singing his praises. And, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't go very well. In fact, you hear the song, Saul has struck down his thousands, verse 7, and David his ten thousands. And when you're the king and somebody's singing a song and it ain't about you, you're not going to like it. What is that but pride? In fact, this song hit Saul squarely in the pride, right? In his pride. And that reveals a great weakness in his heart. It shows that this is a man who is not after God's own heart. Now, let me say a few things here that hopefully will help you in applying this truth to your life. Think about this. Saul's rage here is aimed at David. You'll notice that he gets very angry. Verse eight says he gets very angry. He is angry in success. He, he, his nation, his army won and yet he's angry. So pride is such a powerful force that it can take the best moments of your life and steal them from you. Keep you from those moments that God has given you. But here's what I want you to realize. The reason why Saul is angry is because he's focused on someone else instead of letting God bring the focus to his own heart. So think of this. When we understand the love and mercy of God, it is okay. We are able to say, I have failed. But it is not okay to continue in that failure. How do we know that God is working in our hearts and defeating our pride? Let me tell you how we know. First, we are willing to say, I have sinned against the Lord. That seems so simple until you're the one having to say it. And when you have to admit, not to your wife or to your dad or, or to a friend that you're wrong, but when you have to admit to God that you are wrong, that is a powerful, humbling kind of moment. But we need to say it. Here's the second thing. Not only do we admit that we've sinned, but we stop walking in the direction of failure. We begin to walk in the direction that God would have us go. We don't continue to make the same sinful mistakes. But when pride is managing us, then what happens is, is anger overcomes our soul. And we are not able to overcome it because we keep trying to win success for ourselves. So listen, here's the thing. Self-worship is the fuel of pride. If you are at the center of your own little universe, you are going to continue to grow in pride instead of in grace. Christ-centered worship is the only way to kill the pride that is killing you. When we say come to worship, be a part, be an active part of worship, have worship in your life, we're not saying that just because we want to pad the numbers. 
I would sure like to have more numbers in the COVID age, no doubt. But listen, we're not saying that to get you to come and fill a pew. We're, we're asking you to do this because if you're not filling your heart with the worship of God, you will be filling your heart with something else. And pride is I think one of the most dangerous things we fill our hearts with. Second, let's beware of soul-stealing envy. And this is the question of, have we opened our hearts, uh, opened a door to darkness for our hearts? I want us to think about this for just a moment. Look at verse nine. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Now, the gist of the Hebrew here is pretty simple. It's not just saying that he was like, I've got my eye on you. That's not what he's saying here. It's saying that he had that evil eye. Now, when I was a child, I was in trouble a lot. And so when the word, the phrase evil eye, I know exactly what that means because my mother and my grandmother and my aunts always gave me the evil eye. That meant I had crossed some sort of line and I was pretty good at doing it like every day. Now, if you'll notice here, this evil eye here is not something to laugh about though. This is, this is a, an indication that there is a jealousy in Saul's heart that is expressing itself visibly. Listen, you may think that your spiritual struggles are staying within you, but when you've got a battle going on here, it usually shows up right here. And people know that something's not right between you and the Lord. Those who are discerning can know that. And that, that's really what happens here. There's this evil eye. Now, the reason why there is this envy and jealousy is because Samuel had told Saul that a neighbor would take his crown. And I believe in this moment, Saul realizes that David is that neighbor. Oh, friends, I want to warn you right now. Envy is one of those sins. We've talked about pride. Now we're talking about envy. Envy is one of those sins that I think the church has grown okay with. We live in a materialistic, capitalistic society that says, you know, um, uh, more is better. If you have a, a two-year-old car, you need to have a new car. You want to have more of this and more of that. And we envy and we want more and we want more and we want more. And that's good for the markets, but that may be bad for your soul. I think coveting is one of those secret sins that is plaguing the church. It even causes us to, again, compete with other churches. We, we're envious. We want to we wanna do what they're doing. We want to be like them. Listen, I, I'm here to tell you, I don't want Ridgecrest to be like anybody else. I want us to be the body of Christ we're called to be. And the second we start trying to be somebody else, we've lost our way. But that's the way we're, we're geared. We're always trying to be like someone else. But coveting is as deadly as any other sin. It's as deadly as murder. It's as deadly as adultery. It's one of the big 10. It's number 10. And it's the one we seem to ignore the most. I think people come into church and they will, well, they come in and they're, and they're proud and they're happy. They know that they haven't committed murder. They, they know that they're not adulterers, but they have a lot of uh, pride and envy in their hearts. But they're, but, and they're just completely oblivious to the fact that that's just as bad as the rest. Oh, every single sin in your life is keeping you from the holiness of God. And, and it murders your soul. I mean, Saul was trying to literally kill David, tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. We saw this here in the, in the passage. Um, but it's, it's more than that. His soul is affected. If you look at verse 10, it says that Saul was uh, guilty of these ravings. Now, um, one, one person, one scholar says that that word is kind of like the opposite of prophecy. So in prophecy, we speak uh, ecstatically the word of God, or when we're filled with something else, something other than the spirit of God, we have these ravings. It's like anti-preaching. So he's spewing out wickedness. If your heart isn't right, your language, your vocabulary, your attitude won't be right either. 
And I think that's one of the lessons we learn here. But here again, this thing that seems so small, envy, is leading Saul to murder. Friends, why? I mean, you look at Saul's life and you say, why? He'd been given every good gift in life. He had a wealthy family that he came from. He had good looks. He was even given the best possible spiritual counselor in the prophet Samuel. He had a background of wealth, good looks, and good mentors. Everything about Saul, God had put, listen, when Saul failed, it wasn't because he could point and say, well, God, you've not been nice to me. God had given him everything that he needed. Now, church, let's bring this down. Let's land this plane for just a moment when it comes to envy. When we think about the church today, I I, I think that we have so much in common with Saul. We've been given so many good gifts in this life. We are in the American church, which is rich and prosperous. God has given the modern church the ability to reach the world like no generation before us. We have everything we need for success. But we sense, don't we, that we're underachieving? Don't you sense that the revival that we need so desperately is held back? Maybe because we're not hungry for the riches of God's grace. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, something like envy seems so small, but if it keeps you from experiencing the power of God, it will also cause you to experience more of the terrible darkness. God wants to use you. He wants you to experience his power. That is only going to happen though when every sin, even the ones that you think are inconsequential, even the ones that seem so small and insignificant, they must be destroyed. Pride and envy must be destroyed. So let us finish here with this thought. What does it look like to have victory in Jesus? And the answer is simple. It is simple faith. Simple faith is the only way to have victory in Jesus. Now, I didn't read to you uh, verses 16 through 27. And that story there is, is really an interesting story because as David's stock rises in the kingdom, Saul realizes that, you know, sometimes if you've got an enemy, you draw him close to keep an eye on him. And he says, well, I'm going to bring him into my family. That'll, that'll keep him close by where if I need to deal with David, he's right here. So here's what Saul comes up with. He thinks, I'm going to get him in one of two ways. One, I'm going to tell him that to marry my daughter, he has to kill 100 Philistines. Now, I want to tell you, uh, killing 100 Philistines is a big deal. That's a lot, that's a lot of, uh, of people to kill. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a soldier, and you know what? I'm not a killer. I don't look like one, I know. But can you imagine 100? And what does David do? David, David gets strength from the Lord, and he goes out, and he, and he takes out 200 of the enemies of God. And then Saul says, well, my backup plan is uh, my daughter, Michael, is not the most spiritual person. So even if he does marry her, even if he does kill 100 Philistines and he marries my daughter, she'll be a drag on him spiritually. And we know from other texts that Michael was probably an idol worshiper and, and Saul knew this. And he believed that, that that idolatry would seep into David. So, so notice how cruel this is. He's either going to kill David physically or he's going to kill David spiritually. That's the kind of man that Saul was. And where did it all start? In my mind, I think that this, this sort of uh, homicidal mania, it started with pride and envy. He was wanting to kill a man because he didn't allow the spirit to kill his pride and his envy. 
David's humility, verse 18. His courage, verse 27. Keep him anchored to his faith. He is victorious because he is a man that is after God's own heart. And none of these these hurdles, these pitfalls are able to get him. He has victory because he simply obeys the word of the Lord. I think about our applications much uh, as, as we prepare for this time. And it's so simple and yet it's so hard. You want to be victorious in Jesus? <laughs> you have to obey his word. And that seems so simple. And yet the world gives you endless opportunities to do something else. So let me show you uh, four very clear, I think, points, waypoints. Um, a few weeks ago, we were climbing some trails in, in uh, Colorado, literally climbing, well, going over rocks. And, and we would go from Cairn to Cairn. Okay, so they were points that showed me the way to the top, all right? Let me show you the way to victory here. And it comes from these verses, and we're summarizing here uh, this story of David taking out the Philistines and marrying Michael. Notice this, in verse 16, it says, for David went out and came in before them. Here's the thing, if you wanna be victorious in Jesus, you have to be active in your faith, not passive when the spirit moves. If God is speaking to you, if God right now is telling you to come forward and pray, if God is telling you to confess your sin, if God is telling you to take up the mantle of that ministry and you are passive, if you say not now, if you say no, I'm gonna tell you, you're not going to be victorious in your life. You have to be active. When God moves, say, yes, Lord, send me. Secondly, we see this. David says, who am I? Don't think too highly of yourself. He says this in verse 18 and 23. Don't think too highly of yourself and remember that you are nothing apart from the Lord's presence and power. David knows that it's not about him at this point. He knows it's about God's spirit within him. Third, trust that God is able to do more than we can plan for or imagine. In verse 27, he kills 200 of the Philistines. In other words, God gives him power to do more than was requested. Church, we need to believe that God is able to do more than what our dreams are. Whatever dream I set for you as the leader of this church, I believe with all my heart that whatever God's dream is, is better. And the fourth point is this, the fourth waypoint toward victory, the challenges to our faith will not stop coming. So we cannot stop fighting the good fight. Look at verse 30. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success. Notice that. Again and again and again, the Philistines kept fighting. Now in 2020, it has been one of those years where we're like, we can't handle any more Philistines. <laughs> well, we don't want any more challenges. But listen, to have victory, we have to believe that the challenges are not going to stop in this world. Summarizing, Saul feared David, but David feared the Lord. Misguided fear leads to defeat. That's what Saul teaches us. But the fear of the Lord leads to victory. As we finish this morning, I want to say this to you. The Goliaths that are out there are easy to spot. Look at the, the, the sexual temptations our culture gives us. Look at, at all of the corners, morally, ethically speaking, that the society tells us it's okay to cut. There are plenty of Goliaths, so to speak, that we can see out there. But what's interesting about 1 Samuel 18 is it's saying, quit looking out there, quit placing the blame out there. Realize that the things that are going to kill you quickest are right here in your heart. I believe that these heart sins, the heart sins of pride and envy, are 
tremendous enemies, great challenges, so sneaky. You know, you think about how people can survive. I've, I've read so many books on, on different wars and you'll have somebody that survives a frontline, point of the spear kind of battle and then they die because of an infection. A tiny pathogen takes their life. I wonder in the church today, how many of you, the pathogen of sin is what's taking your life. You're, you're focused on avoiding those giants out there and you're not focusing on the battle within. Pride seems simple. Envy seems simple, but they're not. They lead to murderous intent. Where is your heart? I think many people come to church with self-righteous smugness, thinking that they've got it all figured out. And all the while, the devil's killing them with sins like this. I want to encourage you to come. Come to this, this, this altar. It may not be pride. It may not be envy. But whatever sin is killing you, you better kill it now. Because we can't talk about revival. We can't talk about God using us in a mighty way if we're going to carry around the sin that is murdering our soul. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.